You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Thursday, November the 24th. A little grey here in TW11. Today it's neither rain nor shine but plenty to whet your appetite for the weekend ahead during the course of the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. We'll be talking, of course, about the action from Newbury and Newcastle, as we have been all week. We will be heading east to the Japan Cup, where we've got a reporter on the ground, Liz Price, with connections from France and Germany during the course of this show. We'll be profiling the contenders for this year's ROA Horse of the Year, a really interesting mixed bunch, flat and jumping. But we start with news that one of the best jockeys of the last decade is about to call time on his riding career and in circumstances that he would not really have chosen for his exit. He is Joe Marrera, the man who has been a multiple champion in Hong Kong and an iconic figure. Lee Mottershead from the Racing Post is with me. Uh, Lee, Joe's been been talking to um, a journalist that he's very close to. Just give us the details. Yeah, so this is um, Michael Cox writing for Asian Racing Report. And as you say, he's had a series of excellent pieces uh, with Joe. And this is one that shines a light on what is going to be Joe Marrera's final lap, if you like. We, we're in a situation at the moment, Nick, where some of the sport's biggest riding stars are, in inverted commas, of a certain age. Well, Joe Marrera actually isn't one of them. Um, he is not yet 40. Um, he's a jockey who, prior to injury, injury intervening, had appeared to be at the height of his powers, constantly dazzling on uh, the Hong Kong uh, stage on this pod in the Racing Post elsewhere. There have been so many stories over recent years about his, his battles with Zach Pert and his great victories at Sha Tin and Happy Valley. Things changed for him when a hip injury uh, curtailed his current Hong Kong season. He was allowed to return home to Brazil by the Hong Kong Jockey Club. And he has announced now that he will have a farewell appearance at Sha Tin during the Hong Kong international races. Um, he was already booked for some Japanese train horses at that meeting. And then he talks about going on a bit of a world tour, um, spending six months going around the world, some of the world's top race meetings, which one would imagine will mean he'll be going to the Middle East, to Japan, and perhaps if we're talking six months, Nick, maybe ending up at, at Royal Ascot, um, which would be a, a great place for someone of his stature to include in this 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 farewell tour. Um, it's a really sad situation in many ways because he's not leaving at a time of his own choice. One always hopes with a a great jockey that they can leave at a time of their own choosing and not been a, a Richard Dunwoody type situation where the sport retires them in effect because of injury. He has got this serious hip problem. He's had some uh, some treatment, a form of treatment called PRP, um, but that isn't something that actually solves the problem. He'll need hip surgery at times. And he has, he's come to the conclusion that there is only one option and that is now to stop, he talks about that in this in this piece with 
with Michael Cox. He says, I'm fit and, and flying physically. I appreciate the time off the club gave me. I was able to heal physically and mentally and do it around the people who love me. If I wasn't 100% fit and feeling positive, I would not even consider taking rides. Um, but he does make clear these will be his final rides. Um, and really interesting quotes, Nick, about his his feelings about Hong Kong as well. He says, I have mixed feelings. I'm doing the right thing, but it's a full stop, a cycle being completed. It's been a great journey. And I'm very happy with what I achieved in Hong Kong. There is also the feeling of loss that of all those great times I had in Hong Kong are not going to happen again. And it's unlikely I'll have those type of experiences in other places. But you say, Lee, one of those places in the short term might be Japan because he's taking two rides to Japan in the Hong Kong International and clearly has a, a good relationship there. It's the Japan Cup, of course, this uh, weekend, this Sunday morning. Uh, you'll be able to see uh, coverage of it on, on Luck on Sunday on, on Racing TV if you're in the, in the UK. And Liz Price, international journalist, is out in uh, Japan for us at the moment. And she's been catching up with one of the key sets of European connections ahead of one of the world's most important races. Thank you, Nick. Well, I have arrived in Japan after a 13-hour flight and uh, I've arrived to terrible weather. It's absolutely hosing down and apparently it's been raining the entire day, which um, is great for German trainer Peter Schirgen because he's going to saddle three-year-old Tunis in the Japan Cup on Sunday and Tunis um, loves soft ground and uh, after today I'm sure the ground is going to be soft. So uh, right now we are sitting in a restaurant in downtown Tokyo and I'm with Peter Schirgen and his wife Gisela and uh, also his jockey uh, Burjan Mozabayev and um, also the, the one of the guys who came with the horse um, who they have uh, named Sushi. He's a Japanese apprentice. <laughs> and Peter, tell me, so the last time a German horse, the last, well, the, well the, the last time and the only time a German horse won the Japan Cup was in 1995, a horse called Lando, which was trained by Heinz Jentsch. And interestingly, you used to ride Lando, but you didn't ride him in the Japan Cup. Yes, um... <laughs> But the owner and the trainer uh, say, uh, I maybe I'm not good enough, so I was very unhappy. I have a very good form. I was this time champion jockey in Germany. And so uh, I come back here for Windsor race and uh, we see Sunday. Absolutely. So you've got a score to settle and you have not changed your jockey. So tell us about your jockey. No, no, no I have no chance to uh, ride in the Japan Cup. And your jockey is is uh, Burjan Mazabayev, who's yeah, going to ride yeah, the horse. Yeah, yeah good. Um, and uh, my stable is the stable jockey ride my horses, and when the horses ride in the other land in France and England or Japan, my stable ride, stable jockey rides the horses. And Burjan is a very good team with uh, Tunis. He win five races, and this year is uh, very good in form. The jockey and Tunis, and yeah, we see. So Tunis, I have just been told. So Tunis is half brother of the 2021 Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe winner um, Torquata Tasso. So that makes him very exciting. He um, ran twice as a two-year-old, and then I think he was injured. No, or what happened? Because he's he comes here a very fresh horse. He's only run three times this year. Yes, good. Uh, he was very good uh, in the winter time. Then we begin the season, and we see normally the Derby was. Uh, 
we, we, we will run in the derby, but at the beginning of the season he was lame behind and he had an inject and it was a long time he came back and so this was good for him. Now he's good in form and he's fresh and well and with, uh, it's only the fourth start in the season. He's from race to race improved. The distance is good and uh, yeah, and everything is a good travel and he's in good form and Joker is good in form and I hope we have a good travel in the race. And then I think we a good chance. <laughs> so quietly confident. Well, I mean, not not surprisingly, because um, this year, so um, Tunis, the first time he ran in Baden-Baden this year in August over a mile and a half, and he won by six lengths. He then ran in the German Sun Ledger, in which is a group three race, and won by eight lengths. And then um, only recently he won his first group one uh, race, the Prize von Bayern, the Große Allianz Prize von Bayern in Munich and heavy ground where he won by 10 lengths. So could he win the Japan Cup by 12 lengths? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy. But I, hope, I, hope we, I hope we will have a good run. Uh, when he is a good place, we are happy. When he wins, it's better. And uh, I think he's not good enough for 10 lengths. But I hope so. He be, we will win. So when I said 12 lengths, everyone here around the table was laughing. So um, um, Sushi, come on, talk to me. So Sushi is a young Japanese boy who um, is in Germany and is attached to the German um, stable of Peter Schiergen. So what is it like to be back here in Japan? Um, 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 I'm, 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 I'm so, uh, so uh, in English? Yes, yeah. in English. <laughs> Um, I'm so happy to uh, back to Japan because uh, I'm I'm never been to the uh, back to Japan uh, for three, three years and and uh, I'm so happy to come here uh, with uh, Tunis for Peter Shigen uh, because um, I I need more I need to get more. Uh, experience uh, for uh, jockey and everything so yeah and does he have a chance that, yeah does that's have a chance yeah chance yeah i yeah I, I think i think uh, he had a chance because uh, uh, he eating very well and uh, he come 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 very well so yeah I'm, I can, uh, he can, he can win. Obviously, Sushi, Sushi is not your real name, but we just call you Sushi because we can't pronounce So tell, tell our listeners what your real name is. Uh, my name is Shuichi Terachi. <laughs> but it is Sushi for us. Now, um, talking about names, Tunis. Uh, I've been asked what Tunis means. Gisela, who is Peter Shiergen's wife, and who's sitting opposite me, she has given everyone a little um, brooch of a little doll. So, so explain to us what does Tunis mean? Tunis is a person, a doll, um, out of a typical cologne, we say Kölsch um, theater. And um, he is normally named Antonius, but it is Tunis in Kölsch, and he is a doll out of the theater. So the doll out of the theater in Cologne could uh, write some history uh, on Sunday. Anyway, Nick, um, so that's, that's all from us tonight here in, in Japan. Um, you've got an update on the German horse. We believe that he's got a um, great chance. Everyone is very confident and uh, looking forward to the race on Sunday.
All right, news there from Japan and more of that through the next couple of days with Liz. We are continuing east, Lee, and news from Victoria and a number of stories today that that really tie in as regards the future of of racing there. They do, Nick. Um, Now, we've been bigging up the work of one uh, international journalist, Michael Cox of Asian Racing Report. Let's do that for another now, Damien Ratcliffe. Um, from the age in in Australia, from from Melbourne. Um, He has um, had a very good story today with the Racing Victoria Chief Executive Andrew Jones. Before that, as with other journalists in in Australia and Melbourne, he tweeted the news that without a fight, formerly of this parish, trained by Simon and Ed Chrisford, or Sheikh Mohammed Abade, one twice at York during the summer, then represented the Christmas and Britain in the Melbourne Cup, finishing pretty dis- disappointing and distant 13th, it has to be said. That was his sign of performance for the Christmas. He's now joined the Freedmans in Australia, but he isn't now going to be running in the Zipping Classic, one of the final big spring carnival races in Melbourne at Caulfield on Saturday because of intervention by Racing Victoria vets who found that scans of his distal limbs were compared to those prior to his run in the Melbourne Cup, and there were noticeable variances, in inverted commas, between the two sets of scans. And as a result, without a fight, isn't able to run now in the Zipping Classic on Saturday. It continues this narrative of RV veterinary intervention in terms of running plans for horses. We had it quite a bit, obviously, as, as we heard on the pod going into the the Melbourne Cup, I suppose, most noticeably with Loft, who had been the, the second favourite, uh, the, the the German trained second favourite for Marcel Weiss. He wasn't allowed to run, was pulled out just on the a uh, few days before the Melbourne Cup. What should be said in relation to this particular thing as well, Nick, is that these aren't uh, permanent sentences, if you like. There's a horse running in the Zipping Classic on Saturday, Chapada who was ruled out of last year's Melbourne Cup by RV veterinary intervention, then that problem healed. And, uh, of course, Goldtrip, who won this year's Melbourne Cup, had been ruled out of last year's Cox Plate and Melbourne Cup by RV veterinary intervention. So I guess in those instances, RV vets and the RV team would say, well, look, we, we've protected a horse on this occasion. We've then re-examined the horse and the horse has recovered from that potential injury. So all is well. In a wider sense, then, Damien Ratcliffe has penned this piece with the RV chief executive, relatively new RV chief executive, Andrew Jones, who came to the sport uh, from cricket, had been very uh, instrumental in the development of the the Big Bash over there. So a very high profile sports executive. And he was talking to Damien on a range of subjects that are of interest, I think, within Australian racing, but in a wider sense, as well. One of them being in RV Racing Victoria's uh, current views on its relationship with those who are anti-horse racing. Um, We were both at the the Melbourne Cup parade on the eve of the Melbourne Cup. We both saw and heard the anti-racing protesters uh, across across Melbourne, across Victoria that that, that day uh, in, in the city. Um, they, again, would have been vocal at Flemington itself. But Andrew Jones was welcoming the fact that they once again had a fatality-free Melbourne Cup. They've had a good run in the last few years on that. And his hope that that can combat this nut-to-the-cup nut campaign by the, 
the anti-racing protesters. But interestingly, we have got um, elections, state elections in Victoria this weekend. And one of the political parties and the, 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 the Greens over there, there, they have been campaigning against horse racing. They're campaigning for a ban on jump racing, a ban on uh, the, the use of public funding for the horse racing industry, and also a ban on the whip. So an interesting uh, link there to course what's happening over here, where we have changes announced this week to uh, the, the 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 new whip rules in in Britain and news on their implementation. Well, of course, over here, politicians as yet hopefully won't ever get involved in in the whip debate. But in Melbourne, they're seeing a very different situation, which perhaps reflects their attitude to the whip going forward. Um, in a wider sense, Andrew Jones stressing that he believes that there is a real job for horse racing uh, to make not just horse racing socially acceptable, but socially desirable for 18 to 35 year olds. Um, and in response, as part of that, he is happy for the sport to develop its approach to welfare. He's adamant that horse racing in, in, in Australia and Victoria uh, puts the horse first. Generally, there'll always be a few wrong ones around there, but generally puts the horse first. And he's adamant that banning horse racing clearly would be bad for the racehorses, for the, for, the, for the breed. So interesting stuff on that, Nick, but also interesting stuff on the Spring Carnival as a whole. Um, he talks about how um, we, when, when we leave Melbourne after the, the couple of the carnival, we tend to think the Spring Carnival has ended. It actually goes on for the rest of November, but with much lower profile races. And those races are so low profile that the, the gambling take has really fallen off since the final day of the Flemington, the Melbourne Cup Carnival. And he's talking there about whether they need to reinvent the second half of the Cup Carnival, in, of the Melbourne Spring Carnival in, in November. There have been calls over there for the Melbourne Cup and the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole Spring Carnival to be pushed back two weeks later into to the year when there's still a clear window without other sports taking uh, prominence. He doesn't think that is a good idea, but he does think they need to beef up the November programme. That debate will go on and on in Victoria more immediately they'll be looking to see what happens in these state elections on Saturday and how well the Greens perform. So we've been all around the world already and we're only a few minutes in Japan Australia Hong Kong all covered back to Newbury now and to the Coral Gold Cup this weekend and a leading fancy for the trainer who's been holding all before him Paul Nichols a horse called three under through five who was prolific last year and runs in the familiar uh, blue white and maroon silks of Max McNeil who joins me now and Max I mean before we start the last three weeks for horses running in your silks or your ownership have been nothing short of extraordinary just just Tell us how many winners you've had and, and where they've all come from. Oh, blimey. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, yeah, as, uh, as, uh, as you know, it doesn't often go like that. We've just had a really good run, actually, at the moment. And uh, we've bought some nice horses over the last, um, uh, I don't know, sort of 12 months or so from, di from various different sources. And, uh, you know, it really helps having Adrian Heskin on board the team because he... Uh, He's not only uh, a great jockey, first and foremost, but he also knows his breeding and uh, he's able to sit on not all of them, but some of them, which really helps. And uh, uh, with him and our racing manager, Ian Turner, you know, we've got a, a great team uh, with those two. And, you know, we, we look at um, sort of the breeding. We can get, sometimes we get to test drive them. We bought some really nice horses from Sean Doyle, whom we've had an excellent relationship starting with 
our first horse that we bought from him, which was uh, the World's End. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's sort of been a culmination, really, Nick, of the past uh, sort of eighteen months, two years of buying horses, and um, thankfully, it's uh, you know for the for the moment at least, it's it's going pretty well. I mean, I'm, I've known you and ha- having good horses for quite a while now. You know, from the Walk On days and Mill Chief and and, and onwards. Um, but was it was it a concerted policy to think? Right. Okay, we're just going to start opening out of it and trying to get a little bigger and to get more of a grip on the game and bring more people into the fold. Was that was that a policy decision, if you like? Um, yeah, I, I think I, it, 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 actually you mentioned Walk On, Nick. There, um, Walk On was the start of it, really. Um, he's he's to blame in many ways because we had a few um, sort of middling horses, if that was the right expression, before him. And he came and took us to the top table. Um, you know, he he was he won a couple of grade ones, but he was second in a lot of big races, including the Paddy Power, the Topham, and a few others. And uh, sort of once you've got uh, sort of the hook in your mouth, so to speak, probably not the best expression, but once you've got the bug kind of thing, um, you want more of it. And so I thought, well, how do you get more walkers kind of thing? So, you know, that's when uh, I sort of spoke up the relationship with Ian and then more latterly with Adrian. And... Um, you know, say thankfully it's paying dividends, and it's a great sport to be involved in. You know, and as you know, it's it's you've got to learn how to lose. You know, it's easy really um, to be a winner, but uh, this game teaches you how to lose. And when you do get some success, you've got to appreciate it. And so, as long as you know, as long as the horse is safe and has has run has run respectively, do you feel that even if you haven't won a, a big race, you can drive home with a with a smile on your face? Yeah, and and you've got you've got to do that. Otherwise, you're in the wrong game. You know, you've you know you. But when you do have disappointment, some cracky, you know, we have, uh, you know, off chair, um, and you know, you've got to just sort of pick yourself up, dust yourself down. And it's not only disappointments on the track. You know, we have had some success, but that coupled with that, you know, we had a nice we've got a nice horse called Champagne Super Over. He's out for the season. Another lovely horse uh, called. Actually, we were really looking forward to run this season is more than likely out for the season so you know it, 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 it teaches you to sort of um, take the rough with the smooth and then when you do get lovely horses like the Spartan Armies and the Cato Capones the Thames Waters and so on all running well um, you know you've got to appreciate it and, and you know we try to <laughs> uh, you, had a, you had a horse run the other day was it your first runner with Nicky Henderson who won did I see Persian time and and, uh, you know, as well as the guys we've talked to, we've always, I mentioned there earlier, Nick, we've also got, built a really good relationship with Jeremy Grah, who's a really top man. And through him, he was, he really was instrumental in helping us by both Spartan Army, who ran at Weatherby yesterday, and Persian Time. And, you know, with Nicky, I, I've, I played golf with him years ago, and, uh, you know, I've got a great relationship with him. And um, I don't know why, I said this earlier last week, I said, but... Um, we just never seem to either have the right one, or, or perhaps it just wasn't time in our, you know, in our ownership cycle, if that was, if that's the right expression. But you know, we, we through Jerry, we found the right horse, and um, my co-owner Greg Stone, who's a great mate of mine, um, was keen to have a horse with Nikki as well. Um, I saw Nikki at Kempton on the Adonis Day uh, back there in February, and um, it all fell into place, and uh, thankfully. Uh, so far, anyway, he, he's turning out to be uh, working out well. 
Uh, you mentioned Spartan Army was very impressive at, uh, at Weatherby uh, yesterday, be- beating Hole of the Moon by by six lengths. You share that one with with Patrick and Scott Bryceland. I noticed these shared ownerships, Max. Is is that because you want to share the enjoyment? It helps to it helps to spread the cost when you're going in in quite hard with horses. What's the what's the thinking behind that? It's a bit of both of that, actually, Nick. First of all, it's sharing the enjoyment. I mean, so we we all pushed the boats out. You know, I'm, I'm not. I haven't got a bottomless pit, and and um, you know, Paddy and Scott haven't either. And they, they they're doing very well. We're all you're doing successful, but as you know, it's very very difficult. Uh, you know, it's difficult to keep buying horses and, and funding them and so on. And you know, we we all pushed about out to buy Spartan Army, um, and it is really. We all went yesterday because we all said wherever he runs first time out, um, we'll all go. Happened to be Weatherby, which was right in the middle of where we both all live. Um, but we had a great day, and I love Weatherby actually. They really look after you well there. Um, and it's part about sharing the fun and sharing the ownership. But also, as we got more successful, Nick, we put better horses. And as you put better, or a better stamp of horse, at least. And so therefore, you just think, right, well, I want that one and that one and that one, but I can't buy all three. So you go out to people who you might think might be interested in a particular horse. Um, and you sort of say, look, I've been put this horse. Do you fancy coming in 50%? And as I've said before, you know, if, if a horse costs... I don't know, 100,000, say, to keep the math simple. You know, I put in half and, and, and you know, my partners would put in half. I never put in less or more. You know, and it's just a case of trying to spread your risk and, you know, having the opportunity to buy more horses, you know. We we could we could talk all day. Uh, I haven't even mentioned three. Haven't even mentioned three under through five, which is why I called you in the first place. Is he going to win the Coral Gold Cup for Paul Nichols, who's already been a, a, a great trainer for you? Well, I, I'm not going to say, Stanley, and say he's going to win. I have to say, I wouldn't swap him for any of them. Um, you know, it's a horse straight after Cheltenham. He said, right, Hennessy. Oh, sorry, Coral Gold Cup. Um, you know, that's the target. Has been all along. We gave him a beautiful prep run at Weatherby again. Um, you know, he, he, he did exactly what Paul uh, wanted and, ex- and, and sort of expected, really. Um, you know, hopefully that's going to put him um, in good shape. He schooled on Monday in cheap pieces and uh, he was electric. And he runs on Saturday uh, with cheap pieces. Um, the race favours second season novices, um, and he is—he is obviously one. Um, he jumps well. Um, you know, the ground is, is in our favour. I think he's—he's he's off a, a, a favourable mark. Uh, and you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I've, I've never had a runner in the race, Nick. Of all these, after all these years, I've tried to have one. You know, good enough and to be competitive in it. So, it's—it's it's one of my local tracks, like along with Ascot, and I'm—you know—can't wait. Owner Max McNeil there, who's three under three five, is a leading fancy for Saturday's Coral Gold Cup that takes place at Newbury. Um, Lee Mottershead is still with me. Now, Lee, earlier in the show, we were talking of the perception of racing and the perception of gambling. I just want to point out yesterday's um, Times front page, Lee, which uh, you might have expected to see in The Guardian. You might have expected to see on Mail Online, but I was quite surprised to see on the front page of the Times. What did the headline read? Big rise in gambling addictions, putting suicidal young men in hospital. So clearly not a nuanced uh, front page headline in the Times. And it reads more like a campaigning story 
than a news story, really. The, the intro says the NHS is, inverted commas, picking up the tab of the online betting industry with a surge in suicidal gambling addicts turning up to any doctors have warned. Um, it fits in with the wider narrative of the last few years. Nick, you reference it's not The Guardian, but I think that has been the big thing with the, the media's take on gambling in recent years, in that the anti-gambling perspective has been adopted not simply by The Guardian, but right across the political spectrum. There aren't many subject areas on which The Guardian and The Daily Mail are as one, but in their scepticism, their antipathy and antagonism towards gambling, they have been uh, united. Um, it has gone across that, 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 that the whole media spectrum there. And I think this story is a reminder that although because of the extraordinarily turbulent political situation that we've had in the United Kingdom in recent months, and we've not seen uh, the, the gambling white paper that has been heralded for so long now, um, that that is still presumably going to come at yeah. some point, and that we shouldn't be thinking that because we've only been hearing about different political stories in recent months that this has gone away it clearly hasn't gone away we referenced on the pod last week about the situation in ireland and about changes to legislation there that will uh, ban gambling advertising for a significant chunk of the day this is a story that will go on and on and on and the racing industry here and the bookmaking industry will be waiting for that gambling white paper which in many ways will only really kick off a process because it will kick off an intense lobbying process from both sides so um, well, here, very... here, here is here is very effective lobbying you can get a splash Absolutely. all over the front page of the times particularly in the middle of a it's not exactly a slow news month is it but get this uh, lee christopher landau who is the director of um resource which is a um anglican ministries charity and was once a BBC News correspondent, has tweeted underneath this story, saying, at what point does BBC Radio 4 Today programme admit that daily racing tips, often offered jokerly, trivialising gambling, have no justifiable place within public service broadcasting? And then, further down, Robert Wright, he of a, a blue-tick newsroom reporter for the Financial Times, I think it's weird, I wish they'd stop. A while ago, BBC Radio 4 had a very good piece with a former sports person who'd ended up in penury through a gambling addiction. It's odd on the same programme to have racing tips. Less racing thinks that it is in some way immune or ring-fenced from these issues. It, it just, you've just got to realise how in the mainstream, how in the mainstream, something as apparently innocuous as a couple of tips on Radio 4 is perceived. Absolutely. Um it's really, really serious, um, Nick. I think anyone who listens to that tip section on, on the Today programme, generally comes up just before the, the half-hour news, um, will know that whether it's being presented by Rob Bonnet or Gary Richardson, it's done in a pretty light-hearted, uh, irreverent way, um, with the presenters almost making jokes about the, the, the tips. It's not a... It's not an intensely uh, gambling-focused section where they're talking about market moves or even odds. It's very much in the mould of the old Wogan's winner that those of us of our age would have grown up listening to on, on Radio 2. And I think, Nick, 
this commentary that we're getting in the Times and in relation to these tips on the Today programme underline that there is a significant and a dangerous constituency of people who do not simply believe that there is a problem with problem gambling, but that gambling is the problem. They are not simply opponents of, they're not simply concerned about problem gambling. They are concerned about gambling and think that gambling itself is the evil. And that is enormously dangerous for that industry, but also for the horse racing industry, because anyone who believes that horse racing's future is inextricably linked to, to gambling, that they absolutely are one and the other going forward. Most people who are interested in horse racing are interested because they like to bet on horse racing. We should celebrate that fact. It's a good thing for horse racing in many ways. But there are a large group of people now, including politicians sitting now in the House of Commons, you look at people like Ian Duncan Smith and others, whose commentary at times would give the impression that they believe that gambling per se is the problem. And that is worrying. All right, we're building up to the ROA Awards, 8th of December. And the ROA Horse of the Year is, I think, one of the most fiercely contested categories I can ever remember. Check this out for a shortlist. Aplutar, Alaho, Alpinista, the ARC winner, not a dry eye in the house, Baid, the best horse in Europe for over a decade, Constitution Hill, uh, the best novice hurdler according to time form since Golden Signet, Highfield Princess, that extraordinary whirlwind summer of three group ones, Honeysuckle, well, needs little introduction, and Kiprios, who ended up being the world's top-rated stayer. How do you compare flattened jumps? How do you compare six furlongs to two miles, three miles? I honestly don't know, but the defending champ is Honeysuckle, and she's not that far off a comeback. And uh, Kenny Alexander, her owner's uh, racing and bloodstock manager, Peter Maloney, friend of the show, joins me now. You'll be able to hear all the goings-on at the Tattersall Foal Sales in the background. Um, Peter, that's some lineup this year, isn't it? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, nothing less than we're used to. We're, we have to take on, with the mighty Honeysuckle, we've had to take on lots of many lineups over the years. So, um, But uh, we were truly flabbergasted and honoured last year to win it. It was, it was uh, an amazing night. And and just look looking down that list, and it's it sort of I got to thinking rather whimsically that I spend a lot of time moaning in in our job, but boy oh boy, there are some fantastic racehorses around around the world, and particularly in Europe at the moment. And that's the great thing about these these uh, top class racehorses and the drama and the stories behind them and the people behind them. You know, the Alpinista and Sir Mark Prescott. You know, that's just fabulous. You know, to win an arc. Um, um, he, I remember we were at Tattersall's Art the day after he won the Ark, and I think it took him about four hours to walk, do two barns inspecting because everyone was stopping him and congratulating him, and it was, that was an amazing day. Um, so you know the stories behind these amazing horses. Um, it's you know, it's it's what we all follow the sport for. And and clearly the the story of Honeysuckle is so multi-layered as well you and I spoke about about Henry de Bromhead a, a few months ago when when he tragically lost his son and and, and the impact that the horses were, were having on him through through trying to to move forward from that we, we've spoken so much about the owner the the breeder of this horse you know, follows her so closely and has been such a, a huge part of her her life as well 
has there ever been a moment in your long career where you've put your hand up for a horse to such extraordinary effect in terms of its lasting impact? Absolutely not. I, I, I think there's not many people who have done it once or, you know, uh, so, you know, she's an amazing, amazing horse. It's just once in a lifetime. Um, yeah, it's a pinch, pinch yourself every day you get up and uh, think that, you know, we're involved in any small way, to be honest. Henry de Bromhead, her trainer, was giving a pretty positive bulletin ahead of her debut in the Hatton's Grace Hurdle at, at Very House earlier on this, this week. You're the person who sees her every day during the course of the summer. Was there anything anything different or notable or noticeable about the way she was at, at grass this year and when you when you brought her back to go back into training? Um, well, she's getting a little bit older, so like us all, um, you know, advance you probably put on a little bit of weight a little bit easier and um she did particularly well again this summer put you know lots of weight on um i think when we send her send send her back henry is it's it's a mixture of uh admiration because she looks so well and frustration because maybe she looks a bit too well so um but uh she's a joy to have in the summer she the last couple of years there she's She's uh, shares a paddock with four or five others there, and tell me something, girl, and and her like best buddies. You could put ten feed pots in a field, and they'll eat out of the same one. Um, uh, they share everything, and they're sort of great mates. Um, it's such a pleasure to go down and have a look at them every morning, and see these two wonderful mares. And when when the time comes for her to to retire after hopefully after this year's champion hurdle or Punchestown or whenever it is, and 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 gets and gets covered. Does she then? Will she then come back to you? Hopefully in fall. So the plan would be uh, generally what happens. So Kenny um, has his own farm in Scotland, New Hall, which is a lovely place, and great land. So she'll come to me if she's been covered in Ireland. She'll come to me and be covered. Um, she'll fall. I think he's very very keen to have a GB suffix and um, I think if he got his own way it would be an SCO suffix um, and uh, so she would fall a new hall and then come back to me again to, to be covered again and if, if she comes to Ireland to be covered. What do you make of this weekend's fighting fifth and, and how excited are you by the by the eventual clash with Constitution Hill? We've got to, we've got to make sure they line up in the same race first of all. Um, listen my wish is that both horses get to Cheltenham fit and well in the best possible form Um, it'll be a dream if they both can get there unbeaten and um, the hype and the build up would be would be incredible if that happened Um, I'm not sure my sleep patterns will do very well Um, but uh you know that's the hope, and sure, listen, we'll watch with interest. Nicky Henderson is the master. Um, there's been plenty of slagging going on already. To you know, they're great friends. Um, so there's been a lot of toing and froing going on already, but we'll watch with interest. Um, Nicky will be, and uh, there's no better man to get a get the horse there um, in prime peak condition in March. So. Um, um, may the best may the best animal win. 
Okay, thanks to all my guests today. Lee Mottishead is still with me. Lee, I just need from you a tip for this weekend, whether it be the the, the Coral Gold Cup or the Fighting Fifth or elsewhere, and something for this afternoon. Okay, well, um, fascinating weekend. Nick, for the first time, I think, in... Well, I can't, I can't remember the last time it was years ago. I shall be heading to Newcastle now, not Newbury, on Saturday. So Constitution Hill has certainly changed my weekend uh, plans. I'm spending quite a lot of time on the A1 as a result of this. I'm looking forward to it as well. Can't wait to see Constitution Hill. Um, Nick Henderson was telling you yesterday he probably plans to stay at Newbury. No great surprise there. I think that's one of his favourite days of the year. I think you'll see First Street win the the Jerry Field and Hurdle, which I have thought might be an option for Constitution Hill. So he'd be my weekend tip. But more immediately, uh, Nick, I am going to Kelso and the 155 uh, there today uh, the Racing TV 100% Profits Return to Racing Handicap Hurdle and a horse called You Some Boy uh, he's a horse who um, has disappointed on his seasonal appearance but he did that last season and then set off on a winning spree I thought there was a lot to like actually about that first one of the campaign at Kelso and I think back at Kelso he will be winning in the 155 You Some Boy Lee, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Thursday, November the 24th, and I will be back at Newbury with Lydia Hislop for one of our uh, Friday at the Racecourse specials. That'll come tomorrow. Um, but thank you very much for listening. We will uh, see you again next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary. Mm-hmm.